like the previous humans, proves to be really good at being human and being kind to people. And it brings the world back into chaos. Then God, out of Babylon, selects another king and forms a new covenant, a new partnership with that king. And he calls that human to be his friend, to be in relationship and partnership. That human grows into a family, and that's the covenant we look at tonight. The second point is the covenant with the nation of Israel. And how this covenant, God does ask something from them. He does ask for their obedience, but that obedience comes with trust. And that trust is love, and that love comes with an extra cost. But we look at by the end of the Torah and Deuteronomy, Moses does not like their salvation. For these people, he sees that their heart is like every other human heart. It's hard, and it's incapable of love. It's incapable of trusting God, which makes them, the humans, incapable of truly obeying God, being in that relationship and remaining obedient, trustful, and loving of God. And so what God has to have to do is a deep work on the human heart. And so we carry this belief forward and we get to the next covenant, which is the covenant with David. In the process of going into the promised land, one verse I showed you last week that Israel, in the promised land, you have the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is basically the story of how Israel becomes that instead of going to be a light, a kingdom of priests and a light to the nations, they become just like all the other nations in deep evil and depravity. And the last word, the last verse of the book of Judges is this. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days, the days of the Judges, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right or good in his own eyes. And that's the author's little signal to those. We, we, what we really need around here is a good king. And you fast forward the story into Samuel. You get to the backstory of David with his brother Nathan and Saul. Then you get to David. And David in 2 Samuel 7 is established as king. He makes a promise to God. And God says, hey, you don't need to build me a kingdom of your own. I'm going to do for you. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, verse 6, verse 7. The whole context begins from verse 8 all the way to verse 16 of 1 Samuel chapter 7. God is promising David this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up up your offspring or seed. Key word there. Get that down. Offspring. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. I went a little bit of a zigzag on that, but I made that word stripes. I need to put that little phrase in your mind for a little while. It's take a while, trust me. But my steadfast love, my chesed, my steadfast love will not depart from you as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Okay, so this is a promise, a covenant God is making with David and his house. So this covenant with David he says, there will be a son from your line who will be king, and I will establish his kingdom. I'll establish his kingdom, and it will be 
kind of relationship for him to be a king and establish that kingdom, the kind of relationship he's going to have to have with me is going to have to be like a father-son relationship. In other words, there's going to have to be a king in your life that is going to be like a son of God. This is going to go great. Your kingdom, your son that will be a son of David, a son will be like a son of God. It's a father-son relationship with God. I'll establish his kingdom forever. He'll build a house for my name, a temple, and I'll be with you. I'll be present with you. There's a tabernacle, there's a temple. I'll be with you, and I'll be with your, your sons, and I'll establish your kingdom forever. To do that, he's going to have to obey, and he's going to have to lead my people in obedience. So Israel has proven incapable to to be in obedience to this covenant as a whole nation. So just like you see God having a covenant with all of humanity, then it sends into a single man and his family, a single man and his family, Abraham, and then it spreads out to the whole nation of Israel. What does God want? He wants to rule the world and bless the world through humans. So it can't just be a single person. It needs to spread out to at least more people. Well, that whole people has proven incapable of, of obeying. So it's just back into a person that this person, this king, is going to have to lead the way in this trusting father-son relationship that will lead to obedience, that will lead to the whole nation living in obedience. Why? Because he wants to rule the world through humans. He wants his whole people to be a kingdom of priests because he wants to bless the nations. But he can't bless the nations in their evil, so he has a people who he will bless to then bless the nations. And really, long story short, if you follow the storyline right after this, David, his response in chapter 7 and 8 of 1 Samuel 6, like who am I? Who am I that you would make this And now, my goodness, like, all I can do is just say thank you, praise you. I mean, it's a couple chapters of just more praising. And then, but very next major story of David is he see his, it says where the kings went off to war, he's taking a nap. And while his, his, his armies are at war, he's back in Jerusalem, and he wakes up from his afternoon nap, and it says he sings woman bathing and sends his servants to take her and they give her to eat. It's that literary device that is saying this is a really bad deal. Okay? This is a Genesis 3 sin. And so David commits a grave sin. He commits adultery and then he, he conspires to have her husband murdered uh, and, and because of that there's discipline and it just what you thought would be a great setup just immediately goes off the rails. And it goes off the rails in his family, where there's rebellion, there's, uh, there's subversion. Absalom tries to take over the, the, the nation, and then he gets murdered and killed. And then he appoints Solomon, and you're thinking, this guy, maybe this guy, he's good. He even asks for wisdom to discern good from evil. 
He's the wisest on the planet. He builds the temple. You're like, maybe this is the guy. And then he skillfully leads Israel to become like Egypt. Just another nation full of idolatry and adultery and rebellion and sin. And what you have from Samuel all the way to the end of Kings is the line of David and the nation of Israel even splitting into two nations, Israel and Judah. You have the line of David leading the people of God to what? Exile in Babylon. It's a very familiar story. What you have from 2 Samuel 7 to the end of Kings is a long, drawn-out, bloody version of what you've already read in Genesis 2 and 11. It's the same pattern and story. Into exile in Babylon. In the process, the temple gets destroyed and the line of David gets severed. They all go off into exile. And so, what you, in your reading this, you're thinking, hang on. God has a covenant here. What's going to happen? How is this story lost? And this is where you get the prophets, who in the midst of this downward spiral that we're going to read a lot from actually while they're in exile in Babylon, to show you what the prophets are pointing to of how God is actually at work in the midst of all of this evil. And to do that, go to Isaiah. Isaiah 9. We're going to be in Isaiah, Jeremiah, To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government or kingdom shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God has not forgotten his promise. God is not going to be false to his covenant. There will be a son of David. established with justice and righteousness. And that kingdom established with justice and righteousness will be a kingdom of shalom, of peace. And it will be establish this kingdom, and it will be through this king. Look at Psalm chapter 2. Now, Psalm chapter 2 is a later biblical poet who's reflecting on 2 Samuel 7. So, imagine this is a prophet, generally the poet, 
is, is thought to be actually in exile. So this, this psalmist is in exile reflecting on God's covenant to David in 2 Samuel 7. And this is what, this is what he says. Verse 1 of Psalm 92. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed. Okay, that word anointed there is the Hebrew word Mashiach or the English transliteration is Messiah. The anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. What is God's response to the nations raging against him? He laughs. He's like, who do you think you are? Yahweh holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. And as for me, I have set my king.
in him my soul delights. Oh, that's the one. I have put my spirit upon him. So what would define the spirit? What would define the servant of Yahweh? God's spirit. this spirit-empowered chosen servant do? He will bring forth what? Justice where? Plural. Not one nation, all the nations. And that was five. Thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what who gives breath, ruach, to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. So, this God, who created the heavens and the earth, and who put breath in humans, that God, he says,
body of my mother, you named my name, that my Yeshua would be to the ends of the earth. He put his name right there when he says, you've named me from my mother's womb. And, and from the, the whole destiny of this servant is to be God's chosen servant, that his work on Israel's behalf would not just mean the redemption of God's covenant people, that covenant would then go to the salvation, the Yeshua of all the nations. Look at Jeremiah 31. We're going to read Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. These are two prophets. Jeremiah is prophesying to Israel after Israel has already gone into exile. Okay? So Jeremiah is prophesying from Jerusalem when all the people have been taken into exile. Ezekiel is a prophet in Babylon, prophesying from Babylon. Okay? And you need to see how both of these guys, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, have been reading the Torah. They are familiar with the words of Moses, and they were looking at Deuteronomy 30 when he says, God is going to have to circumcise your heart. Okay? So just keep that in mind. These guys, they know their Bible. Alright? So we need to know it too. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. says, for the house of Israel, we got a lot more Bible to say. For the house of Israel, I will make a new covenant. It's not going to be like this covenant. This covenant was written on tablets of stone. And my invitation for them to know me and be among them in the tabernacle was for them to obey me by trusting me and trusting me by loving me from their heart. But they proved they couldn't do that. So I've got to do a work for Israel that is at the level of the problem. The problem was not in the laws. The laws were fine. But they never, they never could experience that. They couldn't experience the transformation from the outside in. Because if you follow the story of the Torah, what you, what you see is not 
a long list of rules. Like I told you, it began with 10. And there were 53. And then by the end of the Torah, you do get to 613 laws. But there's not one place those laws are written. What you see is a little bit of laws, and then rebellion. And a little more laws, and then more rebellion. A little more laws, and more rebellion. And the story goes on and repeats over and over and over, and the, the story is clear. There's not enough laws that can do the deepest work of the problem of humanity is at their heart level. And so the problem is not the law, the problem is that it's not the self. It's outside of them. He says, I'm going to do a work that this obedience and trust will come from the deepest level of the human person, the decision-making capacity where we define good and evil. I'm going to put my law, my goodness, in that level. I'm going to put my law at the deepest level, and in doing this work of a new covenant, there he will, what will mark that is disobedience that brought death and evil and a curse, I'm going to do a work so deep that you feel your goodness is not there. I'm going to just not even call to mind all of their sin and rebellion. Ezekiel 36. Say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among people too. He's making it crystal clear what's going to happen and who's going to be doing the acting. So, okay, um, real quick. Not a rapture up, but it's, it's relevant. It's just a little bit of extra information. Okay, commandment number three. Remember the ten, the ten words, okay? Um, no other God before me, and no graven image. The third was shall not take or bear Yahweh's name in vain. Now, as important as it is to not fight, two words, that's not what that's talking about. It's not even primarily talking about swearing oaths in Yahweh's name. It's about bearing his name. Remember, they are a kingdom of priests. Priests bear his name. Literally, the high priest had a, a crown on his turban that says, Holy to Yahweh. He bears the name of Yahweh. In Numbers chapter 6, the priests were supposed to bless the people of Israel by saying, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom. And then he says this, So shall you place my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So they bore Yahweh's name. But because of their sin and rebellion, they bore his name in vain. And the whole 
of his name was profaned by their life, by their disobedience. And Yahweh, in, while they're in exile, now Ezekiel was supposed to be a priest. Okay, he was in the priestly line. And he got taken into exile before he was ordained as a priest, which was supposed to be his 30th birthday. He couldn't serve in the tabernacle because he was 30. Regardless of the reason, it was 30. And he's in exile, unable to be a priest. And then on his 30th birthday, God opens up visions for him to see what's going on. And he prophesies in it all throughout the rest of his life. But he prophesies as if he were a priest. And so if you're not familiar with the language of priesthood from Leviticus, the Ezekiel is going to be a very different book. And so you're seeing here how he's prophesying. He's saying, you bore my name, and you profaned it among the nations. But I will act, and it's not for your sake. It's for the sake of my holy name, which you profane. I will vindicate my name among the nations, which you profane. It's crystal clear. Look at this. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, the Savior of their God. Now, look at the sentence very slowly. When, through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. There is supposed to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, to the nations. They profaned his name. And he says, I'm going to act in such a way that will vindicate the holiness of my name, which you profane, but I will act through you. I will vindicate the holiness of my name before their eyes, their eyes, the nations. I will be doing the work, but I'll do that work through you. Remember, God has not left his pattern and plan. He has to use broken and, and dysfunctional humans. And he says, through you, I will vindicate the holiness of my name. How is he going to do that? And it's going to be before all the nations. I will take you from the nations. I will redeem you. I'll gather you. I'll redeem you or gather you from the nations and from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, that's priestly land, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, or a heart that's tender and soft, that is able to love and trust. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So when he enacts this new covenant, Israel will get a new heart. And that new heart will also mean a new spirit. And it will not just be any spirit, it will be directly from God's spirit. And what that will mean? Through Jesus. 
says what? Loving God, trusting Him, and trusting Him with our life. What the whole thing has been about in the first place. Now, what is this going to cost you? What will be the vindication of the holiness of His name? Well, that is Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 49, and in Isaiah 61, a little Peace. Who brings good news and happiness? Who publishes salvation? Who says to Zion, Egypt, your God reigns? What's the good news that brings peace? God's in charge. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. Or they recognize good news that brings great joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of Yahweh to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For Yahweh has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Yahweh has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the Yeshua of our God. Lord, been revealed. For he, this is talking about the Savior, the 
very clear that he was just about to see the next level church. For he grew up before him in Christ like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no choice as far as I'm concerned, but we should be and no plan, but we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. His calling is called the servant who seeks to bring justice and righteousness to the nations, establish the kingdom of, of Israel, the kingdom of David, which establishes the kingdom of God, Yahweh reigns, that is to be a light to the nations and bring peace forever and redeem Israel and bring salvation to the world, is not just any servant, he's a shepherd. What did he say? Surely he has borne carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. By his affliction and being stricken, we thought it was his own fault. We thought God was punishing him. But when in reality, he was taking our griefs and our sorrows. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. I told you to hold in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God's covenant with David, he says, when your sons rebel or disobey, I will punish them with the stripes of men. But the ones that did not disobey, that did not rebel, he bore the stripes that was due of his ancestors and all the other people to whom the stripes were due. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was did that give to us? It brought us peace and healing. He took evil on at its source and it took every single one of our transgressions and sins. But remember, the one that was going to crush evil at its source was going to be a guilty of none of it, took on all of it, and what he bore into death was not his own, but all of humanity, that from Genesis through Adam, they've been defined, they've been transgressed, 
rebellion and the exile of all humanity out of the garden, he bore himself for the guilty of the world. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Yet, it is the will of the Lord Suffering servant, innocent of all of it, became guilty of all of it on our behalf. But when, when he makes that offering for all of that guilt, when that servant takes that as him upon himself, becomes that offering, when that happens, he shall see his shall see his offspring. Come on. He's dead. But when, he, but when he dies that as that offering, he shall see his offspring. He, God, shall prolong good, that's the Messiah's days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see Yet he bore the sin of many and made perfect the 
This one king of the line of David, a son of David, that is the son of God, will establish not just the kingdom of God's people, but his kingdom shall be over all, and it will establish peace and righteousness, and it will be forever. And because Israel could not bear that vocation on its own, this one messianic suffering servant king shall bear the entire vocation of God's covenant people on himself. And the, what it's going to cost him will be his life. His innocence is what makes him the one person able to carry all our griefs, all our sorrows, all our transgressions, all our iniquities, all our sin as an offering for that guilt going into death. But when we put our trust in him, we become the new covenant people of Israel. And in that, in that trust, we receive the forgiveness of, of sins, the chastisement that brought us peace, the stripes that brought our healing, a new heart, a new spirit that is empowered by God's very spirit makes us new humans who trust him, obey him, and love him, and establish the good news that God's peace is reigning through his reign, which brings 